Hello, and welcome back to another week of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here, Tom Jacobs. How are we doing after the U.S. Open? I'm very, very glad I had a day off today. Uh, I actually got a week off, which is why people will notice I've probably been firing tweets about golf all morning. But um, yeah, like staying up until 3 a.m. to watch one person kind of lull the bat nine to a win was kind of unbearable. Uh, I, I mean, I actually enjoyed it, but I wasn't the person trying to get Roy McIlroy over the line. So um, I can certainly see why it was a harder task for other people. Yeah, West Coast for you guys is tough. Um, it's pretty tough for you guys, here. right? Like, yeah, I mean, me, I go to bed early. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, but it's kind of fun to, to entertain with that. Man, I've had mixed feelings. I think I think I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than a lot of people. And, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, if two strokes go the other way, I think all of a sudden there's a whole different experience for a whole lot of people that, that definitely feel differently than the way they do on Monday morning. Um, so every, everybody was was negative about 18, right? And I get that. Like, you shouldn't be able to bail out 50 yards right and still, like, have a good shot in. But if Roy McIlroy hits that shot to, like, three feet, does everyone just get over that? Yeah, for sure, and, right? I and, mean, and also, it's not the US Opens for, I guess it's LA Country Club's fault or Los Angeles Country Club's fault that they didn't let anyone anyone in. So, yeah. so there's no there's no atmosphere. There's one hole that gets really brutally criticised. I thought it was fun. Like I was really intrigued to see how people played six. Um, you know the par fives were interesting at times. That you know a lot of you know pars and bogeys on par fives you don't really expect. I quite like the idea of starting a tournament with a par five just to see who sets the tone early. Uh, it was Roy McIlroy's one and only birdie of the day, which. You know, it is what it is. Um, look, I, I'm not very good at being objective about Roy McIlroy. I'm quite negative about him as a person. Um, not as a person, as a golfer in terms of credentials. Do you see it as, I think it's like him trying to win his first one all over again. I mean, he said that, right? In, in, in full swing, he, he literally said, like, I feel like I'm trying to win my first major. And yes, it definitely feels that way. And I think, I guess my my take on at least the way turning tuning into content, reading things, being in part of golf Twitter, like the focus is solely on Rory this morning and it's on even Ricky, you know, a little bit from what it was. If Ricky would have played a little bit better and finished just in second two, it would have been a, a tale of those two. Yeah. And what what like romanticizes golf for me is yes. the Wyndham Clarks of the world, right? Is is those stories, man. Like that to, to to do what he did being in that situation for the first ever time and being pretty nails, right? Like absolute nails that many times he leaked on two holes, right? Like that's pretty much what he did that when others have to push it or others, you know, are, are like praying for a crumble to, to win. You know, that, win them. That, that's such a bad position. Like, Rory was almost playing. I don't know if he actually thought it, but he was almost playing like, oh, this guy's going to lose it at some point and I'll just be solid. And I don't know if that's what like Harry Diamond's telling him. I don't know what's going like. Just make your pars and, and win them all. And and to your point, like, and again, I, I'm guilty of this because I've just started the show by being negative about Rory rather than positive about Wyndham Clark. But the first thing I was going to tweet this morning was like, you do realise Wyndham Clark won the US Open. Rory McIlroy like, cause it, the, the thing that frustrated me the most yesterday was like, if Roy McIlroy could putt, he'd have won 
the US Open and he would won St Andrews. And I'm like, well, that takes away how brilliant Cameron Smith was at St Andrews. And also, I don't think he ever hit it that close to really say that. I mean, what did he have? Like maybe two or three inside like 15 feet and then everything else was kind of 20. He actually putted really well, which made it look worse, I think. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was, uh, I don't know. Like it's hard to think about in that, in that manner. If I, I do feel it was very passive. It was, it was never aggressive. Never. I mean, you, there, one hole sums up like the last, the last 10 years. What's it's going to be 10 years pretty soon here. And, and I guess that's the difference. I think even with, with you and I we're younger, right? Like, yeah, I, I don't have congressional memories, you know, like I, I don't, I don't think of Rory in that way. So it's hard for me ever since I've been so involved with golf, he hasn't won a major, right? Like, well, so I, I was at his, I was at his, well, an old, I was at the, I was at Hoylake for the 2014 Open Week. Yeah. And if you'd have told me, again, he won the PGA after that because the, the schedule is different now, but like, if you'd have told me he was only going to win one more in the next 10 years, I'd have laughed. Like, he literally destroyed the field. He was like six strokes clear going into the final round. Ricky and Sergio had to play brilliantly. The thing with, because like Rick, obviously Gaiman was, was brilliant. Like he tweeted out yesterday that like he's been the best on Sundays at majors over whatever time scale he put on it. But I said, the trouble is it was out of contention all the time. He, he's been in contention three, four times, I think maybe five times since um, 2014. Within and I, when I, I say contentions within three shots of the lead on Sunday, and he broke 70 once, and that sent him backwards. He, he shot sort of 69. It was obviously like a low scoring final round. So he's never he's never really looked like he was going to win it, other than these last two ones. And I think now that we've seen St Andrews and and this one, people are now starting to think there's a problem. And I think there's been a problem for nine years. But like now, it's because he's got up. Like I, I generally think if he won the Masters next year. He would probably not care anymore. Yeah, for sure. And he'd probably, I, I and then he'd probably win more. <laughs> for L, one million percent. Yes, yeah. agree. I think I, I tweeted something on Monday similar, trying to trying to really uh, like extrapolate on the numbers because the numbers can be conceiving in ways. But they also tell the truth in a lot of ways. I mean, there's been so the majors since eighteen. So I think yeah. that would have been. Uh, like Shinnecock here, right? Uh, he he and Spieth both had the the lead in backdoor top fives, which meant outside of the top five entering the, the final round, inside of the top five and to to finish. Now yesterday was by no means you know a backdoor, yeah. but he's only had six top five finishes in that entire time. Now it's up to seven, you know. But so that's three, right? That's three finishes where he has started the final round in the top five and finished the, the final round in the top five. Um, but it's hard. I mean, like I, I do genuinely think Rory is a phenomenal individual and has put a lot on his shoulders this year. And I just, you just want to see that killer instinct. You, so I, hope, I think, like, I think it's like the year itself has compacted because it's been so like it's been the live story. It's been everything else. It's been so compacted into one year. We've seen actually the struggles that he's had to spend for the last ten years, which is trying to carry the torch from Tiger Woods. Yeah. He is legitimately the only person, maybe Spieth, I guess, that has a right to that mantle. And I don't think he copes very well with it. And and why should he? Like, you know, Tiger yeah. Woods is beyond human, right? So I think it's, I think we're just so, 
like if it obviously if he'd got to 29 or 30 whatever he is 33 i don't know how old he is rory but like if he got to his early 30s and he hadn't won a major you you would be making question marks but like i think back to phil mickelson he was 34 before he won his first major and yeah. then he won and then he won six so then if then rory like wrecked off these six and that way the, the trouble was he he won four or five in such a short you know period of time that it became a given that he was going to get to 10 and it became a given that he might get to 15 and chase tiger and and i don't know that like to me sky like I, I feel like his game in 2011 and all those sort of things like he was just a completely different player he was a little bit chubby he had this long distance off the tee it was kind of maybe four or five players that could do that dustin bubba tiger you know john daly before them like that the really could set themselves apart with a driver. Now, now everyone can. Like, and there was always this talk about rollbacks and like that will play in Rory McIlroy's hands because he has this length that he can create without the the equipment. Um, and he's a, a you know beautiful driver of the golf ball, and probably one of the most pleasing people to watch. Like when he hits these towering irons, like, it's unbelievable. But he's terrible with a wedge in his hand, <laughs> and he and he's not making parts and. To not even make it like you'd always have wanted him to have made three birdies and four bogeys and ended up in the same position yesterday. But it was it was the fact that he just didn't even have a birdie part after the first or a birdie make birdie that yeah. really bothered me, I think. For sure. For sure. I think if just you look at the strokes game, like statistics, the years where his short game has really improved, and that's been the last couple, is when he's had his best years or racked up the most wins, right? Now wins, yeah. best years is just pure, you know not really yeah. thinking of the majors in that way but um i would say because and again that's the thing like sorry scott like, that, that is the thing like people are like oh he's really improved around the greens and with his passer and that's why he's racking up these three four win seasons and he's a better player for it but i think that the what set him apart was that he goes like a rainy congressional and and go and hit a driver that people couldn't keep up with and now that just it's not true like minwoo lee will go past him and and you know Cameron Smith can keep up with him, generally speaking. Like, and whereas these backdoor top fives that you mentioned, like no one's going to care that Cameron Smith finished fifth, apart from the people that are going to be betting him short term, like Hoylake and things like that. Like historically, no one's going to care about Cameron Smith's top five. Whereas everyone kind of goes, well, Roy finished top five in another major or second, and he's bound to win one. It's like, well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. Like, I just, I get quite passionate about it because I think that we misinterpret what what he is like I, I don't think he's that great separator of talent that he was back in 2011 2012 because i don't think he can be i don't i don't think it's possible so um that's that's the thing like what was the ideal situation for you yesterday i mean beyond me obviously winning like what what was the what would you want as a fan of golf to have happened yesterday well i would say what i wouldn't have wanted to happen is Wyndham to bogey 17 and 18 and Rory just to win on that type of like if I want Rory to win and I'm not rooting against him in that manner but like I want it to be triumphant yeah and and like that I guess that would have been if I if I'm rooting for that scene like I would have wanted him or Ricky to pedal to the metal nothing else no questions asked they were the best player yesterday and and hold to it anything in between and I mean, I thought Wyndham still played excellent yesterday. Yeah. You know, like there was like that's that's he did that, and and yeah. that's I, I wanted that I wanted it to be a leave no doubt situation versus I don't 
I think people would have, because of the infinity with Rory, deservedly so, they would have still celebrated the minus nine championship. Like it, it wouldn't have mattered the, the way it's lifted. But if it would have just happened from a 15, 16, 17, 18 bogeys, man, that would have, it would have been an awkward situation to me. Yeah, like I just, and that's the thing, like I, everyone was convinced that Wyndham Club was going to throw away. And and I don't think he played anywhere near as badly on the back nine that people were suggesting that he did. I know, I know he got rough, but it's going to get rough. And I, and I know that Rory was going fairway green, fairway green, but it doesn't matter. Like if, you, if you're nowhere near the hole, it's irrelevant. I know Clark was having to get up and down and he was making parts. And, but even like the, the bird, bird, uh, bogey he made on maybe 16 or 17, he only licked out. Like He wasn't really that bad. So I think he deserved it, ultimately. I, I oh, wish... One million percent. Yes. I wish that Ricky had won it. That was my hope. And I wish that he did it by shooting three or four under. Uh, that didn't happen. As soon as that wasn't going to happen, I kind of wanted either Rory to win it and win it, like you said, commandingly and sort of bring himself back onto the stage and we don't have to have these conversations anymore. Or or Wyndham won it because I think he deserved it. And I think ultimately what Wyndham Clark has done this season is he's got rid of a weakness in his game, which was his iron play, elevated it to a new level. And he's won two big events because of it. I think I mean, we could talk about it for, for a long time. I we think could. The, the last, like what I, I read, you know, a lot of content, listen to a lot of stuff um, across. There was a really good piece by um, Dylan DeFear who wrote yep. um, comparing Rory and Brooks and said they're, the, they're at their best when they borrow a little bit from each other in the sense that we know Brooks can be a dick and, you know, he has that chip on his shoulder and, he can be contradicting in what he says, but he's focused on winning a golf tournament. And, you know, if that throws people off in, in certain manners of what he says, it doesn't matter to him where I would love for him to open up a little bit more, be more truthful. We've seen him, you know, in, in full swing in these moments where he, he lets us in a little bit. And I love that. And Rory does that all the time for us without probably to a, to a fault. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I think like, but even when, so, Brooks at the, the press conference this week and everything was concentrated on the fact that he said, I'll see you at Travis next week and all that sort of stuff, like that little jib there. But like the one thing that I really liked was when he was actually breaking down how he approached a major and how he, pro- and he was saying that he stands on the green and looks back towards the tee. And I think that's great. Like, and that's what I want to hear about Brooks. And that's to your point, but Roy gives us all of that. And never, yeah. like, and then there was this massive thing about like, didn't he have like the sunglasses on on Saturday with like the backwards cap, and everyone kept like compared it to Kendall Roy. Like, no one believes it when he does it, and that that's the problem. Like, I don't think he believes it. Um, and yeah, like, does he does he think he's the best player in the world? That's why I never quite. I want to know what, what Roy McIlroy thinks. Yeah, like Brooks unequivocally thinks he's the best player in the yeah. world. Like, there's no question in his head. Like when he's playing the way he's playing, he goes, I'm the best player in the world. No one can beat me. Um, yeah. Apart from that period of time. Whereas I just wonder if Ricky, uh, Rory just sits there going, like, well, Scotty's probably better than me at the moment. John Rahm, you know, Victor's playing well. I, I don't know. And, you know, and I've got to kind of overcome this bad wedge play. Yeah, do I win? I don't know. Like he could still be sitting there going, I'm the best player in the world. And I should be winning this tournament. And I hope that's what he yeah. does. But he doesn't well, show. And the other thing is, no one else showed up. Like Rory did show up. Right? Yeah. Like he yeah. deserved a second place finish. He played well. There was no one at the top of that board that sniffed anything else, really. I mean, Scotty played pretty bad to be there, I it's guess. Terrible right. Um, I mean, Campbell, like Ram was a no show. Brooks really did. You know, there was yeah. a lot of no shows. So 
credit where credit is due. Roy did play enough to be there, but you can't just play enough to be there and expect right. to win a, a major championship. But all right, I, I'm closing our book on that. So we yeah, got a little 15-minute intro, U.S. Open quality talk. I hope everything carries over to Royal Liverpool um, in a couple of weeks because that'll be here uh, really before we know it on the Open Championship. Um, and we are going to dive full on into the DP World Tour side of things again. So we have a stretch of, of pretty dang good golf here, right? The BMW International, the British Masters, Made in Hamerlin, and then the Scottish Open, which leads us in to the Open Championship July 20th. Uh, I'm going to make sure as we transition now into our picks that I give a shout out to our audio listeners. You can find us on Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets. The Mix, Mayo Media Network, always supporting us. Rating, reviews, subscribe goes a really, really long way. Uh, appreciate everyone. And like we discussed last week, and we can go on if we wanted into you know the U.S. Open more, but there were impactful DP World Tour players all across that leaderboard. Then Lee, like we mentioned, another great major performance. Um, you know, Romain Langosk we'll talk about, like another really strong one. Like there was Jordan Smith. I mean, there were some really cool DP World Tour finishes. So we loved providing that last week, and we'll continue um, on that the next major. But it's time to get into our bread and butter, Tom. As we enter the the BMW International Open Golf Club Munich Eichenreit, right? I think that's the way you pronounce it. Um, Pretty good. Going back to this course um, that we have seen uh, quite historically. Overall thoughts as we approach this event, Tom. So I always consider this event a really tough test. Is I always see it as a really strong driving test that you can score on, but you get punished if you don't play your best golf which is ultimately what you want from it i think it's a, ultimately I think it's a really good golf course it's got to 22 under and 19 under the last couple of years but before that it was 15 under 10 under 17 under um i think you've got to look at form in germany overall um you know the porsche european open we've just had i think you know the challenge tour events we'll, we'll kind of get into later on the golf course designer kurt rosneck i think his name is um, he designed that Mallorca Open course. We've only seen it the last couple of years, and there's already been some crossover with that, which I liked. So uh, Von Dellinghausen was fifth here last year. He was second at the Mallorca Open. Waring's been Paul Waring's been 11th, 10th, 26th here, and second at the Mallorca Open. Fox has been Ryan Fox has been third here, fourth at the Mallorca Open, and Jorge Campillo second at the Mallorca Open, third, 15th, and 20th here. So just to give you a little insight into kind of what I looked in. Uh, the two tournament winners of those were Yannick Paul in 2022 and Jeff Winter in 2021. Uh, if people want the reference to that. He also designed the 2020 Italian Open course. I didn't really find anything I really liked uh, from Chervo there, but he has done it. And then the other one that I kind of looked at, Sky, and this is, you know, this is definitely a reach and, and not similar courses at all. But he designed all of the courses that have been used for the Swiss Challenge um, from between 2010 and 2019. Um, and a certain Alejandro Del Rey shot 58 there um, on one of those courses. So I've taken kind of bits and pieces from all of those things. Um, and then the final crossover for me that I found, I thought was really interesting. You look at it just kind of like the winners list. Uh, Matt Wallace has won here, one at Crans. Uh, Andres Romero is one here, second at Crans. Danny Willett's one at both. Um, Darren Fickart, I think, has been in the mix of both. Thomas Bjorn and Ernie obviously good at both. Matt Fitzpatrick, runner-up here, winner at Crown. So there's definitely some uh, overlap with those two courses as well. What that is, I don't know and why, because it's a 
pretty different golf course. But I ultimately think you just want a strong drive of the golf ball in good current form. I don't think you want to be finding your game here. Um, and if you've got some of those links I mentioned, then that's a bonus. Last time we saw this course was Hao Tong Lee's antics uh, in the playoff, right, against Thomas Peters last year, um, which was amazing for Hao Tong to win that event um, after showing some life. And he's right back to probably where he was a year prior to that, a little bit off the map. Um, we've seen Victor Hovland come over after a miscut um, at the U.S. Open and win this event. I believe you said to Matt Wallace did the same, right? Yep. In 18 I think, or miscut the week prior, right? Yeah, I think it, I think it was Matt Wallace. Um, yes, yeah, it was because that was yeah. uh, 18 would have been Shinnecock. Yep. Yeah. So um, Wallace did that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think test is a good word, but also you do have to score, right? We're going to see. Yeah. Probably, you know, up to the late teens, maybe even last year, how Tong got to 22 under. Um, so interesting mix as we see. I mean, we're kind of in the same run of guys at the top of the, the odds boards, right? Adrian Morak, Rasmus Hoygaard, you know, Rosner, Perez, uh, Yannick Paul, McIntyre, Romain Langas make up kind of the, the 20s mainly here. Is there anybody um, for you at the top of the leaderboard that you're intrigued at? Yeah, so I think like I think they all make you know, reasonable sense. I mean, Moronk is the best player I think at the moment, but I can't get there. Hoygaard and Pres not really interested at the moment. Rosner's got some crossover form that's interesting. Yannick and Romain Lengas were probably the two I was closest to, and in the end, just haven't bitten the bullet on either. But I mean, if that Mallorca Open thing comes to fruition, then then Yannick Paul's interesting. I think. Yeah, I mean, what I was very, very close to, to betting was Romain Lengas, right? I mean, Lengas was inside the top 20. I mean, easy cash as low Frenchman for you last week. Did anyone else make the cut? No, no, no one made the, the cut. Bajon missed it on the number um, yeah. after being like three under. So he was the, the, the challenger. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what he was 19th at the halfway point, um, had one of the rounds of the day Friday. Uh, he drove it incredibly well, like he has. His iron game still leaves a little bit to desire for me, but pretty cool to see him, you know, kind of in that test and, and showing up like he had. But ultimately, I think our eyes are, are more um, onto the 30s here. DraftKings Sportsbook has uh, a couple 35s on a couple golfers that we really like. Um, one golfer that I didn't mention yet, who I really, really like for the U.S. Open, when we talked about great U.S. Open performances was none other than Pablo Larothable. Tom, why are we going back to the well with him? I don't really get how you can't. It would, would be my... Uh, I would feel like such an idiot if I got to Sunday, Pablo Larothable had a two-shot lead. He was 35-1, to one, and this is a guy that's won twice in his last four events. He's just gained strokes on approach and off the tee in a miscut of the US Open, and he comes back to a course where he's got two wins, a third, a fifth, a 14th, and a 17th. Um, so the, the, there's really nothing else beyond that. It just doesn't make any sense to leave him off. Your... We, we've had this question a couple of times, like what price, you know, what point does Pablo de Rafael get respected in the market? And I think he has just about, he's, he's getting towards that number now, you know, 35 to one for a 40 year old, but he's still behind McIntyre's got question marks, Rosner question marks, Langas definitely question marks in terms of winning upside. Um, Hoygaard, 15 points bigger than Hoygaard. It's, 
it's just weird. Um, he probably just can't keep winning. Is is the obvious, uh, you know, counter to it. But how do you go against that kind of course form and current form, Sky? And I don't, literally don't know how you do it. His round one. I mean, somebody heavily invested in Pablo <laughs> last week. I mean, he hit every single fairway. I mean, when's the last time Pablo has probably done that? Let alone, you know, I mean, I guess you know the fairways were large, but. Man, I mean, that that was something from a ball striking standpoint, I would have never expected him to gain the type of numbers that he did last week. So that's almost just as encouraging as what the way I would have thought he would have approached the course. You know, I mean, him, there was three guys that, that hit every single fairway in round one. Um, and I don't think there was any other round that that happened all week long. So pretty interesting from that standpoint um you know a short game is going to deliver you know if you extend it out a little bit longer unfortunately last week wasn't uh cut up for that for him but 35 the two-time back-to-back winner at the course that is set up perfectly in the way that he has had as good a history of anybody there's not much convincing that we need to do besides that no, no, I just, like, there's just no point in trying to convince other people, right? If you don't, if you're not on him, you're not going to be on him, no matter what we say. Um, but this is a guy that's won four times since last March, um, and he's won twice at this golf course. So I just, I, and I wouldn't be put off by miscut the major because that's just what the Rafael does. I mean, we we mentioned that last week, even when we were trying to sort of pick him up, like that's definitely something that can happen. Um, and it was in the US. And he so. basically had the same recipe, right? He was top ten, and not that he was top, he was just outside the number. Um, at the end of the first round, but he was top 10 at Oak Hill when he didn't really deserve yeah. to be, and then comes back. It's almost a rinse and repeat. Um, so 35s for him, absolutely. Yep, I, I definitely think that's just just the smart way and just not even thinking about it. Pablo wins, good number, of course he likes. Yeah. Uh, I'm sticking with another 35 for my next one, and it's it's in the 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 same kind of element that I like to go into. You're playing well on other courses or other tours, and, and you want to see how it compares against the DP World Tour. And to me, Takumi Kanaya's form is just way too good to to not risk him again. I mean, he's coming off of a playoff loss, a victory, a third. Um, when he has, you know, the the last three DP World Tour events for him have been 12th, 28th. 24th we extend out a little bit further seventh place so you know his last basically six months october and beyond have been pretty darn good uh for kanaya deservingly priced where he is um i think it's been basically on the japan tour him and nakajima kind of going back and forth in these type of events um and we saw the similar prices when they played in japan right i think it was maybe 40s 45s for kanaya and, and nakajima um, and I, I just don't think we need to overthink this one either. We know the talent and the upside. 17th here on debut. Um, he miscut the next time there, but the talent, the form, the competition, enough for me at 35s. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's just one of those where we always have this conversation, I think, like how do we value that form over there, right? We, we, don't, we don't quite know. Some of them um, play really well here and some of them don't, and I think, you know, the fact that he's had that tenth on the golf course before and the fact that he's been going back and forth with Nakajima, who's obviously absolutely class in his own right. Um, I guess I don't expect him to be good in this golf course, but 
I don't really know why. I just, I just think he just it doesn't strike me as someone that's going to really come and comes to fruition. But he's playing so well that I think sometimes you can overcome that. Um, and that that's definitely the the way I see it with Kanai at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's probably the one of the top accurate guys in the field. Not that that has been historically. I mean, you look at him and Hao Tong, they probably do have very opposite games in yeah. that manner. Wallace, though, kind of at his prime, was was a little bit all around. I think Kanai can just be an all around um, type of player. We have seen Andrea Pavan even win here uh, right in the past. So um, a little bit of mix. Romero is, is more of the short game, you know, uh, type of accurate guy. So if that form continues, the price, fair enough for me. Um, but then I hit a I hit a gap. I, I'm pretty decently stretched out from here. Your next selection is not for a little bit as well, correct, Tom? Yeah, yeah, mine's uh, 80 to 1, my next one. Yeah, so I guess if we look at the, the one, one person I was, one, there was a couple yeah. of people that was close here that I will mention. So Ewan Ferguson for me was someone that I think there was some form kind of showing up in the places I like. He had that top nine in Mallorca. I think he played well at Kranz in the past. Um, and he played well recently in Germany as well. So I liked that. And Marcel Schneider was one I really toyed with this morning. Um, basically, one based on the fact of who's going to be the best person in Germany and, and their kind of leading charge, if you like. Uh, and then I looked at his form, and he's got 20th and 15th place finishes here uh, in the past, where he's kind of been in and around the top 10 at different points during those weeks. Um, and then you add in the fact that that Crown Cercier link that, that I mentioned earlier with, with the Omega European Masters, he was seventh there in 2022. He won the Swiss Challenge that I've mentioned uh, in 2018. So those were the two real reasons I looked at him. And he might be the one that gets added to a kind of four-man card that I've got at the moment. So Schneider would definitely be close for me. Okay. Yep, that's a fair argument. Um, you know, there. I, I bet uh, Norgard Moller last year here, I was listening back to kind of our pod, uh, and I mean, he's showing up at 40s. I think he was 80s last year. He was a recent first-round leader at the Scandinavian mix. Just not enough in the iron play for me at the, the decreased price. Marcel Seam continues to linger around a lot of leaderboards, right? Um, so I think there's something to be said about him. But nothing that really, you know, I truly, truly was intrigued all that much on until we get down the board. And really, it becomes your selection next that I've kind of been on the fence on, and you know, you used to be uh, a frequent truther of this golfer. It's been a little while since we've seen a reappearance for you. Yeah, so between Paul Waring and Ross Fisher, I've not really had much reward over the last couple of years, and and people are probably thinking, oh god, not again. But look, Paul Waring, 11th, 10th, 26th uh, place finishes here. He's been 10th and 5th in his last two events, 25th and 6th those two events in approach, 11th and 2nd in tees green. And he was T2 at the Mallorca Open, which, again, as I said earlier, was the same golf course designer. Just strikes me as someone, you know, he's got that little bit of extra length off the tee, which we've always mentioned uh, as he's gotten into his older years. And I kind of like that at his golf course. I think he's played pretty well in Germany over his career, even not necessarily at his golf course in, in other parts as well. So I think wearing just he's just the type of person to get on board with when he's playing well and it'll either run out when you bet him or he'll carry on and kind of be in the mix. Whether there's a massive win equity, I don't know, for someone that's won once in 2018. But, um, you know, I, I like it. He's he's there at 80 to 1. He's, he should be priced at 80 to 1 because he doesn't win that often. But, 
you know, he's he's a guy that that sticks around, and I, I like him. And the stats suggest that he should be there, and and his finishes on this golf course in the past suggest he should be there. So, a um, couple of top 11s in this event, I, I like it. Yeah, a lot of training irons, a lot of training irons, a lot of correlation for you and just your infinity for wearing. Uh, you know, does doesn't hurt when you get a little price on there. I am pretty impressed and happy with the numbers that are still available on Sean Crocker this week. It's We saw the, the glimmers, the absolute glimmers um, in his eye, I think it was three weeks ago, right? The last time yeah. we had really looked at him, which would have been the KLM. KLM. Yeah, KLM um, is when there was some decent life into there. And then we put him up at the Porsche. Um, and that Porsche, he opened that first round, I think even par with a quad. And I think he like DQ'd halfway through. He got, yeah, I don't know what he DQ'd for. But. I think he finished the event, actually. I think he got DQ'd after. And his, his numbers weren't as bad. I think the weekend was really bad. But Thursday, Friday was still encouraging enough for me to keep an eye on it. Wouldn't you know what he does next time out? Second place at the Scandinavian mix. Um, I mean, Whitnell, Whitnell won, right? Yeah, Whitnell's yeah. performance was just unbelievable that week. And the fact that, you know, Crocker, outside of early on, you know, the front nine didn't really sniff the the ability to win the tournament. But to come here after those type of weeks, still have some 90s here in the States. I mean, 66s overseas uh, with you. But, man, I just think, you know, for Crocker, that ceiling is so sky high. Um, he has made the cut in three or four appearances, 29, 36, the last two times out. I just don't want to give up. I get the price is cut in half. If the price was cut in half to like 40s, I'm out, right? But yeah, 90 yeah. over here in the States, I, I definitely want to still be in on betting what we've seen in the restorative out of Crocker. And I think you, you've got to be where, you know, people are very price sensitive, aren't they, in this game? And they say, oh, I can't believe you're going to bet him at 90 to 1 when he was 200 to 1. When he was 200 to 1, he wasn't playing well. So it does, it's, it's a you had no reason to bet him, right? I'd rather bet someone at 90 to 1 I know he's playing well than someone at 200 to 1 that, for what, for, I don't know, could be missing an arm the way they're playing. So um, you mentioned he's been 29th and 36th the last two. He was 18th going into the halfway mark and, and finished 29th and then when he was 36th he was better placed at halfway as well uh was 26th going into the weekend and even right back when he was 78th on his debut uh, he was pretty promising you know first round out he was the open of a 69 so if i could think of a golf course that would suit sean crocker it feels like this one you know talking talk about strong driving the only thing that, that put me off slightly um which is something that we would have wanted to happen for a long time is that he gained so much with the putter at yes. the Scandinavian mix, and there wasn't as much to be excited about. I mean, he gained on approach and off the tee, which is what we wanted, but he gained so much more at Sadao and then didn't really follow up at KLM. And I just wonder if the putter just really got hot in an event where, you know, it was really short. And I mean, I don't know, like it's one of those things, it depends how you look at you. I look at it, go Crocker's got some confidence from the fact he finished second, and then his irons are going to come to the fore because he's confident. Or he just got hot with the putter, and there's one or two ways. And I mean, I don't know. I I I cannot go against people betting on Sean Crocker because I think it's brilliant, um, and and I really like him as a player, and believe he's he's destined for bigger things. Um, that was just my take. That it was just a lot putter driven from the Scandinavian mix. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely was. Um, I just don't want to give up. 
too, no, too quickly no, no. because of the the reduction. Um, so in on there, you got a pair of golfers. We are both in on at triple digits. If you want to talk about shots of the week, people will mention, you know, Tommy Fleetwood's three woods on Sunday. They will mention, uh, you know, the hole in ones, Fitzy's hole in one, Matthew Pavan's hole in one, Sam, Sam Burns had one too. They'll say, you know, Wendy shot on 14 to, to seal the tournament. But Tom, there's no doubt the true shot of the week. And I really would assume from the strokes game perspective, this was the shot. Yeah, of the I week. think he was the one that came my strength. Yeah. Right. And that was Alejandro Del Rey's drive on six on Thursday. Yeah. There was there was a moment in time I was like, man, like, what if what if he just like top tens this? What if he guidos this yeah. thing? You know, after we talked so much about him. That was somebody we were high on the preview. Yeah. Now, Friday went about as bad as Thursday went good. But um, you mentioned the the correlation on, on Del Rey, uh, 58th was challenged in the past. I, I just think overall, just zooming out from this on his game, um, he's just had a quality year. He's had a steady, sneaky, decent quality year with, with a lot of low rounds, some mixed in high ones, just like we saw this past week. But what, I mean, after that first round, and again, that, that specific drive probably was a big reason in which he got to lead the field off the tee that drive specifically gained let's see round one it gained 1.71 strokes <laughs> however he still gained 1.5 additional strokes uh, off the tee there which that alone would have had him in the top 10 that round if he just stripped out his best drive of the day so that's pretty encouraging to see somebody like that put to the test against everybody else um, out there. Now, again, round two was was very bad. Uh, off to you, so positive approach kind of lost him. But, man, I just think a, a steady year, tons of upside from Del Rey, probably still encouraged by the way he played and coming in to continue at, at, at a big boy golf type of test. You, you can't, but if you're Alejandro Del Rey, you can be disappointed you missed the cut, but you can't be disappointed you didn't finish off he was 14th after round one like he, he wasn't gonna realistically follow that up he's not in the the memory league category of the people that have been doing this for a little while now and played in majors he's still relatively new to this he's still green to this i compare him you mentioned nicholas norgard moller at the start of the show and that you bet him last year at 80 to one this feels like the same sort of bet that you're betting on the upside at 100 to one for del rey as as the, is he the best driver in the, in the field I, I guess he is um, in terms of length, right? So, yes. um, you know, he's going to gain the most off, off the tee there. Um, the fact that he was fourth at the halfway stage at the KLM and then finished 39th, he was 19th going into the final round at the Porsche European Open just down the road um, and then finished 39th again. I think it's pretty promising. It seems like he's struggling to put four rounds together, but we have this, we've had this conversation already about Nick Backham and you knew I keep going back to your point because you hit him at like 125 to one or whatever it was but it feels exactly the same thing and we I think we actually discussed maybe on the US Open show or maybe when you put him up for the European Open I think it was we mentioned that we think he's had a bit more of a consistent year than these other guys that we're talking about and it's just finishing it off and I don't want to miss out on why I think it's going to be a really prestigious talent um at 100 to one and as I mentioned Hovland and Wallace both come over from the US Open on withdrawals and miscuts and and play well here. And he was only second behind Rory in terms of strokes going off the tee per round. Um, and then one bad day with the Irons, which I mean, there was players that had four bad rounds with the Irons last week at the US Open and played well. So I, I just think, and to, to top it all off, 
his only win on a Challenge Tour was in Germany. Yep. I think we bet him the last time we were in Germany, and a lot of those same facts carry over. Yeah. Um, I will say, if we stick on driver distance, it's pretty close, and I've been tough on him, but Wilco Nienaber, his round two, if you look at single rounds, uh, yeah. Wilco uh, in round two, I think he was second or third. Yeah, he was, if you look at round two, he was. No, he was first. He was first in tee to green at, at, at the U.S. Open on Friday. 4.33 strokes gained tee to green. Pretty encouraging with that 1.41 off the tee, 1.67 approach, 1.25 around the green. He lost two strokes on uh, the greens itself. So I think Wilco had some encouraging uh, form there. I maybe am a little skittish because... I bet Audrey or not after a similar type of, you know, performance uh, and that just didn't come to fruition. But Wilco impressed me uh, his last round out. But that is not who we are at here. Tom, who's the other triple digit selection? I'll just say on, on Wilco, I just I just think it's they'll raise the same sort of player and they've got the same upside and he's 100 to 1 and Nino's 60. Um, so, yeah, uh, but it's Frederick LaCroix uh, for me. This is the first person. Uh, that I bet it was the first person that I looked for when the odds came out. I'd already decided it whilst I was watching the US Open at 2 a.m. that I was going to be betting on Frederick LaCroix. And that is, you know, purely he's been 5th and 12th in his last two starts. He returned to a course where he was 10th last year. He's been 8th and 15th in tee screen in his last two starts. You add in the fact that that 5th was at the Porsche European Open, which is also in Germany. That's his tied best finish on the DP World Tour and the best uh, by official uh, official world golf ranking standard. You then add in the fact that he's fourth at the Swiss Challenge, which is by the same designer. And I just I just love Lacroix. I think you could you could honestly sit there. It's a little bit like the Rafa He's finished fifth and twelfth his last two starts, and he was tenth in his debut. You could probably stop it there. I, I think that's enough at 100 to one, right? But you add in those kind of tee screen numbers. You add in the fact that the fifth came at the European Open in Germany. You add in the fact that his best stuff's come in this part of the world so far since being at this level. Um, I really, really like Frederick Lacroix. Yep. Kind of um, solidified some things for me after he, he was a little bit slower to start, right? He he popped onto the Challenge Tour in March, media 11, 4th, uh, and, you know, 14th after some some struggles on the DP World Tour. Good to see the form. Likes to string a couple weeks together. Uh, so, yeah, 100 to 1, absolutely. Uh, for me, I can go in there. That wraps up for your end. I mean, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't have, um, you know, a, a really long shot in, in the mix here, Tom. Uh, anybody before I go into my selection that that you double take that? Uh, Christian Crow Johansson came up in a couple of things I looked at, but there wasn't really much substance to it. Dion Germache has very quickly gone out to 212, which I thought was quite surprising. Um, yeah but there's probably reasons behind it, which is why I've not really looked too much. Um, not really. Uh, Von Dellinghausen's got good finishes. He's 300 to one. Could be, a, could be a name that's up there after round one or something, but no, go, go ahead with your guy and we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's Freddie Scott. Freddie Scott's available 500 to one. Last time uh, Freddie Scott kind of made some noise, I guess for me, it was when I think, we even had a conversation maybe six weeks ago that I was like, man, for, for somebody who came in off of such a strong season to then quickly get out to the thousands, yeah. which he did, 
I was rather confused at that to me. Uh, at the KLM, he had opened 77, so he was 145th after the first round, rallied to make the cut with a 67, finished 55th, and then turned that into a 14th place at the European Open. Seventh after the first round, rather confident he sniffed, you know, an early lead. Um, at some point, and just you know that that course kind of had some, some demanding tests with the leads were were circulating around quite a bit. But I mean, Scott, the last couple times out, at least has flagged enough at 500 to one in the home country off the tee. He was exceptional. He has putted very very well. Right, he was a winner. Uh, I think it was was he a two time winner in the Challenge Tour last year? No, just I think he was a one time winner. Um, he had one, you know, pro golf tour event prior to that. He is young, 22 years old. We liked him for some upside. And Bakum came through in a similar type of way, like you mentioned before. I think Scott's just a little bit. 500s is just eye-catching enough for me to be like, okay, we're, we're not going to miss somebody who might take this home course narrative to another level. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chuck in the fact that he was 14 for the Big Green Egg German Challenge, which is what Del Rey won. Uh, you know, shows that he likes playing at home, which makes sense. He was fourth at the Open D Bretagne event last year, which is what they're playing this week. So maybe just the time of year agrees with him. A little bit of summer practice may help him. Um, that's about all I've got, but that's about what you need to add for a 500 one shot, right? He's he's playing well, and you can't really ask for much more from someone that's 500s. Well, he has played this course before, so he's not going to be going in blind. I think he finished 68th or something around that mark. Uh, you know, you you just look at that and you think, okay, maybe he's not great, but it's just one event and he's young. And I think he had a decent second round, 69 after a slow start. So that's encouraging enough in itself. And you just look at these round, you just look at these tournaments and he's like 40th missed cut, 55th, 14th. But the 40th was potentially going to be better. He was 33rd at the halfway mark at the Italian Open. Um, he shot a second round, 67 at the KLM after a really really tough start. Led him had no chance. And like you say. He, he kind of wavered a little bit at the Porsche European Open last time out, but talent suggests that he can hang on eventually, and that's what we're betting on. Yeah, and a place with a 500 to 1 is, you know, depending on the book, that's 100 to 1, right? Um, four, five, six places. So definitely intrigued there. Um, we'll probably rattle off a few more names, but um, it's it's time we can, we can put a close on it. Um, a fun week ahead, a fun stretch of golf. Um, on the DP World Tour. Let's review uh, your betting card one more time for me. Yep. So for me, we're doing Pablo de Rafa at 35 to 1. I am going to add Marcel Schneider in at 50. I just think uh, after all that, I've kind of committed to myself. Paul Waring at 80 to 1. Frederick LaCroix and Alejandro Del Rey, both 100 to 1. Yep. I am with you. We have a, a good alignment this week, right? Pablo de Rafa, both 35 to 1. Takumi Kanaya, 35s as well. Sean Crocker, 90 to 1. Alejandro Del Rey, Frederick LaCroix, 100 to 1. And then Freddie Scott, 500 to 1. We'll probably get, you know, a top 5, top 10 um, with Freddie, too, maybe even a top 20, depending when these odds all release. But big week. Let's run hot into the Open Championship. A lot of the DP World Tour guys, with the qualifications, will be teeing it up at Royal Liverpool. So again, there's going to be somebody who wins yourself a million dollars, hopefully from our set of the player pool. Um, But that closes it out for us. So Tom, thank you again, as always. Appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. Yep. No, looking forward to a good week and hopefully we find ourselves a long shot winner here because the card is full of them. Yes. Amen. Best of luck, everybody. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks again.